When they first heard about this thing, it was crew expendable. The next time they sent in Marines, they were expendable too. What makes you think they're gonna care about a bunch of lifers who found God at the ass end of space? You really think they're gonna let you interfere with their plans for this thing? They think we're... we're crud. And they don't give a fuck about one friend of yours that's... that's died. Not one. I ain't much for begging. Nobody ever gave me nothing. So I say, fuck that thing. Let's fight it. Fuck it. Let's go for it. You're listening to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I'm Patrick, and today I'm joined by... Christian Motzka. And a very special guest coming on the show for the first time, uh, somebody who we, Christian and I, are both very excited to speak to today, Chris Bissett. Chris, welcome to Perfect Organism. Hi, thank you. Uh, Very happy to be here. So before we get into this, I want to let you know how I came across your work because my source happens to be the other person on the show tonight. And this came up during our Sharomi, our Serio interview, which just went live as we're recording this yesterday. Uh, She's an audiobook narrator. She's done a lot of really cool stuff. And halfway through that episode, we got hopelessly derailed because we realized that we were all board game geeks on the call together. So we were like, literally, it's like, let's just pause recording and just talk more about this. So we were talking about games that we play that kind of conjure the feeling of alien. And we were bringing up games like Nemesis, you know, and other things like that that a lot of people might know about. And then Christian mentioned a game that was played using a six-sided die, a Jenga tower, and a deck of cards. audio diaries, and a deck of cards. And I was like, I have to find out more about this. And that's how... I came across your work. So uh, yeah, so Christian, thank you for introducing me to it. And Chris, while we get into this tonight, before we talk about the game, can you give us a little bit of your personal history with Alien and how you came into this franchise and what you feel about it? Yeah, um, I think I saw Alien when I was about six years old. Um, I stayed, I snuck downstairs from my bedroom to watch it because it was on TV at super late at night at like 11 o'clock at night or something. And I sat in front of the TV with all the lights off and the volume turned down to like two and watched Alien and shit my pants. <laughs> and um, it's one of those series that's just been like a low-key favorite my entire life. Like When people ask, what's your favorite films? I never mention Alien or specifically Alien 3. But um, yeah, they're just I, I watch them like once a year. I love them. They're great. I don't even know... I don't remember why I knew it was on TV or knew to get up and watch it at that age, but I did. (laughs) (laughs) Did you just out yourself as an Alien 3 fan? I love Alien 3. Uh, Assembly Cut is a goddamn masterpiece. It's a travesty. If it would be made 10 years later, it would be a classic. Oh, it's it's a masterpiece. Yeah, it's wonderful. And it's, it's great to meet someone else. You know, even just the way that you just said it, there's that like, oh yeah, Alien, or you know, Alien Three, if you if you like that. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say yeah, is right. Alien Three? You're not to put words in your mouth, but what I'm hearing you say is it's your favorite, not only movie but specifically of the Alien films. Is that correct? It's my favorite piece of 20th century art. 
No. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah, I think I love all the first. I love Resurrection as well, to be honest. But of the first three Alien movies, I love them all equally for very different reasons. But Alien Three is feels really special to me, and I think maybe that's because everybody else talks about hating it, and so I just want to defend it. <laughs> that makes me like it more. I do feel like we're reaching a point now where so many of us who love Alien Three have spent so many years sticking up for it that now that everybody seems to like it we're all like hyper defensive all the time like we're ready to like to go to town I liked on it, it before it was cool to like <laughs> yeah it. we've all become hipsters you know i don't want no more bullshit around here alien 3 asks the most of you as an audience member i think you know especially the assembly cut because all those bits that are super ropey and like not properly edited and the sounds a bit all over the place <laughs> if you're not really like I showed it to my partner and she was like, okay, yeah, this is cool, but it's rough. <laughs> now, not to plug our own show, but we just recently had uh, Charles DeLazarica on doing a commentary track on the assembly cut. And he's the guy that put it together. So he was able to explain, you know, this shot looks terrible. We couldn't fix it because they had actually done the special effects and that's what they did. <laughs> oh, so, no. uh, that's awesome. But, the, the the extra footage absolutely for me it fleshes out the characters it it makes the situation just better it's a it's a better film even the opening sequence contextualizes the film so much better than without it being there plus the production value they'd already spent the money but anyway anyway <laughs> i'm i'm super excited that we've made this part of our alien 3 coverage it's a stealth alien 3 episode <laughs> <laughs> little does the audience know this is also an alien because it's the 30th yes. not 31st 30th no. anniversary I'm, I'm losing it again it's the 30th anniversary of alien 3 this year anyway chris so you are a game designer, among many other things, mm -hmm. and the types of games you design are very narrative focused. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into like what that means and how you approach game design in general? And also while you're doing that, you have Loot the Room is you, correct? Correct. Yeah, just me. That's just you. <laughs> I assumed it was a huge company. All right. So give us a little bit of a, a window into your you know, game self. Yeah. Um, so God, where to start? I've been working professionally in games for about six years now i started in like 2015 2016 but it's you know it's that old cliche of i've been doing it my entire life like you know i started playing dungeons and dragons when i was eight years old and immediately was like writing things and submitting them to dragon magazine etc and getting rejected because i was a child <laughs> um, yeah it's one of those things that I've always come back to, my background is in fiction. Um, I tried for many years to be a novelist. Um, like my master's is in creative writing. Um, but I just always come back to games. And I don't know, there's something about them as a kind of a collaborative art form that really speaks to me. Um, and as a writer, I like to write things and say kind of, here is a big blank part of the map. Now you go and fill it in. I think that's a the unique thing about games as an art form over other narrative forms of storytelling like cinema or you know novels etc is that interactivity um no two people will have the same experience of any game ever in the same you know no two people will have the same experience of a film but it's much more pronounced in games
I am really interested in the emergent narratives that come from games. I don't think there is anything that I can write that will be as satisfying or as surprising as the things that players come up with in play. Um, and so my approach to game design is basically to write, I think of myself not as writing games, but as writing catalysts for play. So if you look at something like The Wretched and a lot of the games that I write, they're very prompt based. There's lots of questions in them um, and lots of kind of almost just setting tone and mood and creating a space in which play and narrative can emerge from it um and that's kind of how i go into it. even when i'm writing like an adventure for dnd that's very like scripted and almost on the rails and has like very you know you you need to write what is in the room specifically you need to be explicit on the page but i still try to create that space where like a gm or the the players can grab something and just run with it and create something that I could never come up with myself. Um, and that goes both ways, because I think when you are when you pick up a game to play, you need the game to create things for you that you couldn't make yourself as well. So it's almost this, like, it's almost a conversation with the players, but I'm not at the table with them, obviously. That was ridiculous. <laughs> with my day job, I have a lot of flexibility with listening to audio. And so I've been listening to actual plays for years of the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game and the uh, Free League's Alien role-playing game, things like that. But listening to actual plays of The Wretched is like listening to audio theater or a, a short story collection almost. It, it, it is the most fascinating, you're right, you're, you're creating these prompts that, that the, the person, the solo person playing the game reacts to and creates their own story out of and it's it's just been very very satisfying and we should probably explain what it is that we're talking about (laughs) (laughs) Uh, chris has made this game called the wretched that is available and we'll have the the links in our show notes but the idea is that you're the last survivor tell me if i'm getting this right you're the last (laughs) survivor on a ship called the wretched that an alien has a creature has just been ejected from the ship and but the ship is not doing well. And so you're creating a series of logs of your interactions with this, with this threat that's outside the ship and the threats that are inside the ship as things are falling apart. And the beauty of it is it, it's this it's amazing interplay between rolling a die to see how many cards to draw, but also sometimes having to take Jenga blocks off. And if the Jenga tower falls, then the ship has collapsed. How, how am I doing? Perfect. Nailed it. But the simplicity of that, you never, you never realize how much people, once, once you get the, the, the pattern of it down, things start falling apart because that's what the, the prompts tell you. But people create these connections or create personalities for the dead crew members or whatever. And I just, I'm just fascinated by it. How do you feel about that? Have, do you listen to recordings? Yeah. I, so I didn't expect you know, you put out a small game and you don't expect anybody to, anybody to play it at all. Um, and when people started making actual plays for it, I was blown away. And like, you listen to them and it's, it's like listening to a radio play and 
very little of what's in those actual plays has come from me. That's all, you know, the imagination and the performance, especially of the people playing the game. And the, they give me chills listening to them. They're so good, some of them. Um, and it's really, I tried making my own actual play and it's it's terrible because I'm not a performer. <laughs> I'm very awkward. Um, it's very humbling listening to people take like my source material and turn it into a piece of art. It's amazing. It's been, what, two years since the game came out and kind of new actual plays come out all the time and I never get bored of listening to them ever. I think part part of why it works so well, and I actually was talking with Christian and Jamie about, I think I might put out one of my own plays just as audio for patrons if they want to kind of get an idea of what it sounds like, because it really, like, I, I cried. I've cried playing this game before. There's one prompt in particular where it talks about how you're starting a relationship with some with a crew member shortly before. And I had this whole backstory about, like, making a friend on the ship. Like, you know, so it wasn't even romantic. It was like I, I made, like, a real connection with somebody. And this whole backstory poured out of me. And I was this audio, that audio diary is like six minutes because I'm like really getting into it. That's um, awesome. And I think part of why that happens is the way that you've written it forces it to become very, very subjective very quickly, right? Mm-hmm. It, you ask the player a lot of very personal things about themselves, or you, you rather you tell them a lot of personal things about themselves for them to react to. So yeah. it feels, and, and something that you do throughout there's this beautiful nihilistic undercurrent going the entire time that I want you to talk about, you know, where you, you consistently reinforce this idea that like nobody will miss you. You're probably not going to survive. And even if you do, it probably doesn't matter. A lot of the time you're reinforcing this idea of this darkness at the center of the universe that exists around and at the center of the game. And so as you're playing it through, and especially as your ship starts to deteriorate, which people, if uh, you really have to play this game because it is like, incredibly stressful if your tower is already screwed up <laughs> yeah. and you've only gone three phases and you're like, Oh my God. And then you pull the King and it's just like a disaster. So you really, you get this real sense of stakes, you know? So how do you, how did you approach writing this? Like what, what inspired it, you know, including alien or outside of that? Yeah. It, weirdly, it wasn't initially inspired by alien. My initial impetus for it. I'd been on a John Carpenter binge I've been watching a ton of Carpenter movies and listening to things like um, you know the Lost soundtracks and stuff, and I I wanted to make a game that felt to play the way a John Carpenter soundtrack sounds like to listen to. That was my like design goal for myself, and I don't know if I achieved that because it's quite a meaningless statement, really. <laughs> um, it's hard to remember exactly where the ideas came from a lot of the time, but it was, I was writing it right in the middle of the first lockdown, right at the start of COVID. And I was working in healthcare at the time. So I wasn't working from home. I wasn't furloughed or anything. I was still going into work every single day. And I think I was the most stressed I've ever been in my life. And I don't think it's any surprise that what came out of that period was a very, very stressful experience about being alone and hopeless. Um, um, I wish I could tell, I think I'd maybe I'd watched Event Horizon actually the night before I started writing it, which might be where the spaceship came from. But then when it started, when I realized that this was going to be a ship and I needed um, kind of a conceit for it, I started thinking about Alien and like, the kind of the tense like claustrophobia of alien one especially and how like 
it's such a bleak, miserable film in a lot of ways. Um, and then I was like, well, what, what happens if you blow an alien out of the airlock and it doesn't die? <laughs> what happens then? What do you do then? And then, yeah, the game, I think I wrote the game over the course of maybe two days. So it was just a little like frantic, this is going to come out of me, whatever happens. Um, and here we are. <laughs> Whether you go back to the first season of Red Dwarf or you look at the John Spates's Passengers, the idea of being alone on a ship and that sense of oppressive loss, I'm not going to see any of these people, whatever. It, it's amazing. I feel you captured even those sorts of what those projects brought to me. But then when you have the threat outside the ship, like you said, it's just right there. It wants back in. Yeah. Um, I think it's brilliant. Also the, the John Carpenter connection is so interesting because those, the, the lost soundtracks are so evocative. You know, they, they put pictures in my head more. So obviously his, his scores are amazing. And I, I suffer from, always thinking that the thing was by him instead of Ennio Morricone. So, but when you hear one of his themes, they're so iconic, you see the images from the movie that goes with it. So that one album, there are no images. And so it creates these stories. And so I love that that might've been insp inspiration for you. Yeah, that was huge inspiration. Like, especially the, um, the Escape from New York soundtrack, especially. Um, and have you ever seen or heard the Dark Star? Dark Star? score the, the film he did with dan o'bannon yeah yeah really? oh yeah i have not great it's um <laughs> it's great to listen to it it's awesome <laughs> yeah, and that's like that's like film school john carpenter that's like really early in his in his output yeah but like i've got no budget i'm gonna have to score this movie <laughs> yeah exactly and luckily he was brilliant at it uh but mm. speaking of being brilliant at scoring things you also scored this project and one of my favorite twice. was it twice yeah <laughs> two two scores for this thing yeah Oh wow! I didn't even notice that. the 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 one that I've been listening to, it's it's my wife is always because she's she's always like listening when I'm like alone playing it by candlelight, you know. And she's like, <laughs> "Oh, that was a good prompt. Keep that, you know." But she's like, uh, it, "It are you pressing something? Like, is this how does the soundtrack know where you are?" And I was like, "It doesn't. It's just playing in the background." But the way that you paste it, it really feels like it's accompanying the playthrough. So, how did you? Can you tell us a little bit about writing the soundtrack and how many of them there are out there? Apparently? Yeah. There are, I guess, two and a half technically soundtracks. There's the original one that I wrote. Um, and then when I did the Kickstarter, because the original print run of the Wretched was only 25 copies, because that was all I could afford to print. And I didn't think there'd be any demand for it. Um, and then when I did the Kickstarter to be able to print, like redo the layout and print more copies, I did a second soundtrack. Uh, oh, God, there's three soundtracks. Jesus. Um, I, did a second I love how soundtrack. even you don't know how many soundtracks there no, are in this thing. No, I did a second soundtrack that's uh, it's on Spotify as well. It's called like Return to the Wretched or something like that, which I wanted to be a, a bit more cinematic, I guess, than the kind of broodiness of the original one. And then I also did a Kickstarter exclusive vinyl soundtrack that isn't available online anywhere. You can only buy that on vinyl. Um, yeah, I. how did I approach that? That was, I had been listening to a lot of John Carpenter and a lot of Nine Inch Nails and a lot of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross film scores as well. Um, and the a lot of people have said to me, oh God, it feels like you've paced it perfectly with the game. That's completely by chance. That's such a fluke. <laughs> um, 
but I did, I was listening to actual plays while I was writing the soundtrack because two of my friends recorded actual plays before I released the game. Um, I used one of them um, by a guy called Alex Clippinger, who's also like a games writer. Um, I used his actual play for like promo videos for The Wretched. Um, and so I was listening to that while I was writing the soundtrack. Um, but I was writing it at like three in the morning while my partner was asleep with my headphones on super quiet, just fucking around with synths and making weird engine noises and <laughs> trying to make sounds of metal twisting and stuff. And it just, it just turned out really well. I'm really happy with how it turned out. I don't quite know how I achieved it. <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying it so much. So that's great. I don't, I don't get much feedback about the soundtrack, but so it's always nice to hear that someone's having a good time with it. The, the other, uh, you know, the best praise I can give, and I, I'm a composer, so I say this as somebody who has my own music getting complained about by the kids quite a bit in the house. Um, <laughs> there's no better testament than the kids running in and saying, Dad, you're scaring me. Please turn it down, <laughs> which is one, pretty regular. There's one track on it. I can't remember what it's called because um, I'm a terrible advocate for my own work, but I really wanted to play around with the shepherd tone um, to make, you know, really horrible, like rising tension sound. And there's one track on it the original like draft of that track was so tense and effective that i couldn't sit and listen to it it made me feel really anxious and my, my um i was like mixing it on my proper monitors in the middle of the day and my partner came running upstairs and was like please stop that noise it's horrible i feel sick <laughs> and so i had to like drown it in reverb and like really tone it down to make it listenable oh my gosh <laughs> Uh, for those who don't know what a shepherd tone is, if you've ever seen an old timey barbershop pole with the you know the ribbon that goes around it, and it it seems to go both up and down infinitely, it never goes anywhere. A shepherd tone is the audio equivalent of that, right? So you have yeah. descending and or ascending glissandi, like sliding tones that overlap with one another, so it creates the audible uh, illusion that it's infinite, which is something that you can actually hear going back to Johann Sebastian Bach, which is really cool, mm. but has been used quite a bit in the 20th century with electronic music. And it's pretty, pretty scary. So uh, very upsetting noise. <laughs> <laughs> So I hit back to the Kickstarter. Um, it's funny. I first I found your game because my my youngest son really wanted to do something, a role playing sort of a, a situation that involved aliens, and I wasn't sure if he was old enough for the free league game or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so just searching Google, I, I came across your game. I decided it was too scary for him, so he hasn't actually gotten a chance to play it yet. <laughs> I have been enjoying it. <laughs> As a, as a parent, it's important sometimes to uh, protect your kids from the cool stuff that you want to do. <laughs> so I've got the I've got the copy with the the shiny foil on the nice. cover. I did not get the um, the album though. I wish that I had because I'm, I'm very much enjoying the music that I have heard from you. And will there be more? I hope so. Yeah, um, I've written scores for other games, and I kind of told myself I was going to write scores for everything I put out and that just turned it out to not be feasible. That's like classic. I'm over promise and under deliver. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I'm a musician as well. Um, I'm in a band. Um, so I write a lot of music for the band, but um, yeah, there'll be more definitely. And I, so it was the second anniversary of the wretched a couple of months ago. And I really wanted to do um, another album for it. And then 
I started writing stuff for it and like life happened. That was why I said earlier, there's like two and a half soundtracks because I've put out three unmixed kind of demo songs um, from that. But I do want to finish that at some point and put out like at least an EP of music kind of now that we're not living under horrible lockdowns, maybe see if there's a bit more kind of hope to be found in that sort of space kind of revisit it a little bit further down the line and see what comes out of that keep thinking about maybe writing some kind of sequel game but i still don't know what that looks like but yes in short the short answer is yes (laughs) i like the idea that now the post-covid version of this game is the ship lands and everybody's happy and they actually didn't die they were just sleeping and everybody's (laughs) good and you did matter um, you you have another game called Alone, correct? Which is is that kind of related to this, or is that separate? That's oh, not alone. a sequel. Yeah. Go so alone. the Wretched. When I made the Wretched, um, one of my friends approached me and said, "Hey, I've been working on this other game of my own, and the system of the Wretched is perfect for it. Do you mind if I use it?" And so I was like, "No, why would I mind?" And we made like so. Then we talked about like making a like a reference document so other people can make games. And I thought I should probably write another wretched and alone game to kind of promote the system reference document and so go alone uses the same engine as the wretched but it is about being a sentient magic weapon um so you know like a magic sword or something and the conceit of go alone is that you're this magic weapon that keeps being picked up by warriors put to work doing horrible violence and then eventually the person bearing you gets killed and you get dropped and you lie in the dirt for a hundred years until someone picks you up and starts killing people again. And you just want to be left alone and to stop killing people. Um, and so it's about, it's a different kind of horror about like, like building a sense of identity from fragmented memories and from being kind of forced into acts that you don't necessarily want to commit or know you're committing until they happen. Um, it's a weird game, but it's one that I like a lot. What a cool concept that is. So from this, the, that isn't the only game that has no. come out of your system. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, we did a, I say we, I'm talking about a guy called Matt Sanders, who runs a game company called The Sealed Library. Um, he and I are really good friends and we work together a lot. Um, and it was him who approached me about writing a game called The Sealed Library, where you are um, the last librarian in kind of a library that's under siege for some reason. And you're trying to stash like as much valuable historical documents and things as you possibly can before you get killed, because you always end up dying at the end of a wretched and alone game. Um, and so we did a game jam. And just said, you know, here, hey, here's the system reference document. Um, here's how you make a Wretched and Alone game. If you want to make one, we're running this jam. Uh, let's all make games together for a month. And I expected maybe like five or 10 people to join it. And I think we ended up with about 130 games based on the Wretched in that first month. And people have continued making them since. And just some of them are amazing. Like some people have taken the system and written things that I could never dream of having come up with, which is amazing and it's sort of the reason that i'm able to do this full-time now is the success of that game and how much people embraced the game and kind of supported it so every time i see a new wretched alone game i'm like super grateful that people are still 
playing around with it. And some of them are great. Like um, some, there's a game called Until the Until the Dawn, Before the Dawn, Before the Dawn, which is like a folk horror game about being a monster in the woods, kind of stalking a group of teenagers, and the group of teenagers are trying to complete a ritual before sunlight comes up to kind of put you back in the ground. It's super cool. It's like really well written, like really evocative prose, and the prompts just out of this out of this world they're so good um yeah a ton of great games that are, i think a lot of them are actually better than the wretched but it's not for me to judge how good the wretched is or isn't so <laughs> and these games are all single player correct no um some people have kind of tweaked the system to make it two player um there are a couple of two player games that's really cool um i still want to write like a correspondence game where you and a friend both have your own Jenga towers and write letters to each other. And like, like the, the conceit of the game that I want to write and still haven't is that like, maybe one of you is like a soldier in war and the other one is like the lover back home and you're writing letters to each other. And when the Jenga tower falls, you just don't write another letter and the other player is left to just wonder whether they're ever going to hear from you again. <laughs> um, at some point I'll write that game or somebody listening to this could write it. That's cool as well. We're going to take a break and be right back. We all remember that moment. The first time we heard a theme from our favorite movie. How it stayed with us. Comforted us. Stirring our imagination. Sublime Noise is our Patreon-exclusive film score review show. Starting at just $4 a month, you will gain access to Sublime Noise, as well as our Warehouse of Framerate episodes, where we discuss and review our favorite films. To sign up, go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. The idea of involving correspondence makes me think of the stories of H.P. Lovecraft, where so often characters are at a distance or they're journaling the terrible things that are happening. Has anyone run with that idea to your knowledge? Not to my knowledge, or at least not off the top of my head. Um, Maybe I work really well. I like, I often think of solo journaling games as being like the found footage of games. Um, And found footage is just the epistolary novel of cinema. So like that conceit would totally work. Um, there probably is a game that I'm completely blanking on right now, but I'm sure the answer is yes. <laughs> but the idea being Christian, like your proposal that, so it's like you're, you're right. You're gradually filling in details of something that's happening to a correspondent, right? And they're doing the same thing to you and you're putting each other's diaries together as you go along sort of a thing. That's but a really with the, cool with the Jenga tower as the threat, you as, know, the, as the eldritch God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, that's the so cult of Cthulhu or whatever. Yeah. So, so Chris, Tower representing like the five elder signs or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a uh, thousand year old vampire made a big splash as, as yeah. a solo journaling kind of game. Is there more history to this? Is this a, a sub genre of role playing that I just wasn't aware of? Yeah, I think so. I mean, thousand year vampire came out a year or two before the wretched um, and got really popular. I think, the solo games and solo journaling games have been kind of quietly simmering around for a long time. Um, 
especially on sites like uh, itch.io, which is where a lot of small games are published and where the Wretched was originally published. Um, there's this tradition of what's called lyric games, which are, if you think of kind of traditional games as prose, lyric games are like the experimental poetry of games. Like the, a lot of them are explicitly designed to not be played or to be unplayable. They're very like, very like liminal experiences, lots of um, largely from very marginalized communities as a way, like a form of expression. Um, and so journaling games have been around for a while. And I think the pandemic just brought them to the forefront because a lot of people who were playing games with their friends suddenly couldn't and wanted an outlet. And yeah, they just really took off. And I think I got very lucky that the wretched happened to land right at the start of that wave of solo journaling games um and i, I just don't think they're ever going to stop now i <laughs> think they're going to keep going which is great i mean it's something that i didn't know existed until until this experience until christian showed it to me as a as a format but i say that as somebody who you know is a the board game geek and a very much a video game nerd who plays single player video games all the time constantly and I, if for some reason, it never even crossed my mind how intuitively it would make sense to have single player board game experiences. Because, like, you know, everybody's done played Arkham Horror with the single player rule set or something, or, mm -hmm. you know, adapted games that clearly are made for more people, but they played alone because nobody wants to do it. Um, but this, the idea of having something from the ground up be single player, the, the type of thinking that it forces you into is really wonderful. And I agree with you. I think it is completely proliferating. Um, not completely, but in large part because we're in a time where there is such isolation and people are afraid and alone, you know, yeah. and and even as, you know, even as that curtain kind of lifts a little bit for many of us, we remember what it was like. And so I'm not surprised to hear that the early days of the pandemic were really where this came from. Um, I guess uh, before we close out, I'm wondering what other projects do you have on the horizon what are you working towards and you know where can people find more about your work yeah um i am constantly putting things out um my focus this year has been less on games and more on like adventures and things for more traditional role-playing games um so i quite recently released a couple of adventures for a game called mokborg which is like a really cool like black metal role-playing game um that i really love um, so I'm going to have more stuff for that coming out. I'm working on a very similar but legally distinct from Please Don't Sue Me Dark Souls game for one or two players. Um, I've been working on that for like a year and a half now. It's super late. <laughs> but that's called Dice Souls, and there's like a demo version that's out at the moment. Uh, and I'm also working on a, do you know the old like Choose Your Adventure novels or Fighting Fantasy novels? I'm writing one of them effectively um, called Down in Yongadi, which is for a, based on a game called Troika. That's a really cool, um, very gonzo, like off the wall, like planet hopping role playing game. Um, so that was kickstarted end of last year and will be out in the next few months, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> Um, but if, if you want to find out more about my work, you can go to lootheroom.io and that's got all my links. Uh, and I am very, very online on Twitter at Pangalactic, which is like the drink from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's fantastic. And do you have a Patreon? 
I do. I have two, actually. <laughs> is it, he, this is the soundtracks of Patreon right now. Chris has multiple. <laughs> Who knows how many? Uh, one is patreon.com forward slash loot the room, which is for games and adventures. It started out being monthly, but I took on too much work. And so I haven't released anything through that for a while. Um, but that's like, you know, as I release thing, pay as pay per thing, I think is the term that Patreon uses. And the other one is called Detritus, which is patreon.com slash Chris Bissett, my name. Um, and that's more of a behind the scenes, this is what actually working as a full-time writer looks like. So it's like blog posts and scraps of unfinished work and just like bits of thoughts about games that I don't want to post on Twitter because I know that people get angry at me on Twitter, whereas if I put it on Patreon, people either don't read it or don't get mad at me. <laughs> but either way, they've had to pay me to read it, so I win. <laughs> um, but yeah, I that yeah, that's what that's my stuff. That's where you can find me. It's fantastic. And again, to, to play The Wretched, you don't need to get a physical copy of it. You don't even need a nope. Jenga tower. Um, no. You just go to go to look it up online, go to Chris's sites and you can you know download it there. And I have to say it is worth if you like the game, pick up the physical copy of it because uh, Chris has also done beautiful graphic design illustration work on it. And it just lends that's, you know, it's this holistic experience. And as somebody who has watched the alien films probably more times than scientists have found ways to tabulate at this point. It really, to me, makes them feel new again because it is a different window. As Christian said, when this came up with Shiromi, you know, it's like if alien had a fifth act and you didn't only have to, you weren't only watching it, but you were actually in it. Like it makes you feel like you are truly trapped in space at the, you know, at, at the wrong end of a hostile organism. So it's a wonderful way to re-engage with the series. And it is far enough removed that it can feel personal to you and to your journey. Like we said, it's very subjective and very emotional. And I just can't recommend it highly enough. And uh, I just want to thank you for being here, Chris, and for all of your support and coming on. Oh, thank you so much. This was great. I'm really, really glad you asked me to do it. This has been great. Thank you so much. To find out more information about Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please go to www.perfectorganism.com. If you would like to support the show, please go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.